Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Elaine Lindsay's mission? End the silence, stigma, and shame surrounding suicide, ideation, and mental health. Sharing your burden can lighten the load. Elaine says, we must normalize the conversation to make it easier for you to voice your pain and be able to ask for help. Reaching out to any other human being when you're in need of a listening ear must become the norm. Now, please note the Suicide Zen Forgiveness podcast is for education only. Some of this subject matter could be triggering for those of you that are either grieving or having mental health problems. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. And I am thrilled to be back. As usual, it's Elaine Lindsay with Suicides and Forgiveness, and I am very happy to be here. Today we have, I have to say, this is going to be a very, very different episode. And we deal with suicidal loss, we deal with ideation, we deal with mental health. Today, we're dealing with the stresses that can be put on us from the exterior. And I just have to say, before you meet my lovely guest, I have to say, wow, her strength will give you hope because she has been dealing with something for over 16 years and we're going to cover the whole gamut of what's going on. Madeline Michelle Carthen is my guest. Please welcome her. Hello. Lovely to have you. This is going to be an incredibly interesting show for our audience. And I want to be sure that we give the audience not just the chronological timing of what's gone on, but a sense of just how long 16 years is in one's life. Let's let me preface that with you, you are, to the best of my knowledge, going to have a birthday tomorrow. I'm not going to what birthday. That's entirely up to you. You are much younger than me. So happy birthday for tomorrow. Thank but you so much. What we're talking about in your life began basically in your 30s. I guess what we need to know before we talk about the fact that for all intents and purposes to the government and everyone else who matters, get this one, folks, my guest is dead. Is that not correct? You're absolutely correct, Elaine. I've been pursuing that. Yeah, and not only that, she has been reconnected as not dead multiple times and then they make her dead again yeah that's a pretty cryptic statement to start off with 
So let's go back to where this all started. I will tell you, my guest is incredibly articulate and has done all her research and is an absolutely lovely lady. I'm going to let you take it from there, go back to where this started and, and what was the catalyst, if you will, for you finding out that or starting the trek down the Death Valley walk, if you will. Yeah. First of all, let me just say, I, I appreciate this opportunity that you've allowed me to have with you and your audience, just to give a perspective that situations can happen that seems impossible, but I've stayed the course and I'm willing to endure until a resolution can be found, not just on my behalf, but all Americans. My name is Madeline Michelle Carthen, and I was a student back in 2006 is when I started Webster University Business Technology. I was going for my entrepreneurial capstone course, as well as international business. And so in the process of that, I was in school about a year, coming, not actually a year, it was probably about maybe nine months coming into. And so around 2007, um, March, that would be, I was uh, awarded a, a scholarship. I had applied uh, with essay for the International Business Intern Exchange Program. Um, I had chose Accra, Ghana is where I wanted to go to study their GDP, their growth, and, and how they did business there, so to speak. And so I was going to write a business model for that. So in the process, this was in March, the timeline of 2007, after I knew that I got accepted with some other students that chose to go other countries, we had to apply for our financial aid for the summer. And so that's when I took time to apply for my financial aid. I was in the office, seemed to me everything was okay, just like normal. Next thing I know, Mrs. Johnson, she was financial aid advisor at the time. She said, this cannot be when she got paperwork off the printer. I didn't know what that meant. She looked at this and she said, can you look over this, Mrs. Coburn? At the time, my name was, last name was Coburn. I was still in my former married name. And I looked, everything seemed fine from my social security number to my name, address. All of my personal identifiable information was accurate. What wasn't accurate was at the bottom, it said applicant deceased with a hyphen and a code 29. I looked at her and I said, come on, what does this mean? Like I'm supposed to be dead. I'm speaking to the financial advisor. And she said, I don't know, hon, we, let me go talk to someone. So I waited, she came back. And at the time it was Sally May, who was the loan servicer for student loans. And they made contact to them. And I was supposed to get disbursement for, for my funding for schooling. And they couldn't process because everything in America is based upon your social security number. Right. And so due to that, I didn't know what happened. So here we go, it's a mystery. So she told me, don't worry about it. They'll try to figure things out, go back to class. I couldn't function. I, I, I Mentally, it was like, what's gonna happen? Am I gonna lose my scholarship? What about my student loan? Am I gonna be put out? These were all questions that couldn't be answered at the time. So probably within a week, I, I, 
I was called to the office, back to the financial aid office, and they say they were still working on it, but I needed to talk with Social Security Administration. That was something they couldn't do because everything was pointing back to there. Okay, I, I make contact. And here, when you try to call Social Security, you could be on the phone for hours. So you might as well just cancel your whole day to try to work on that matter. So this is a situation that it was becoming frustrating. I couldn't think. I, I couldn't eat. I didn't know what was going to happen. What I presumed to happen, because I had watched movies like Will Smith, Enemy of the State, and yeah. Sandra Bullock, The Net. Those movies I watched, I was wondering, is this what my life is like? Is it, are they going to come take my car, my home? I didn't know. I would just had all these questions, but I had no one to answer it for me. So in the meantime, the Social Security, I made contact with them. They said they would be back in touch with me. I never heard anything. Now it's getting worse. Now I go back to school, but now I'm told I can't return to school. And I didn't understand why. And they said, we have to have a meeting, which would have been the president of Webster University, which is where I attended. It would have been my dean over the business technology. And then it was going to be the financial aid staff. And so I wasn't privy to that meeting. They called me on the phone to tell me to come up to the school and they were giving me my pink slip. They had made a decision to withdraw me from school until I can get the matter straight, never telling me the, the real reason why. But I figured it had to do with, for one, they wasn't getting any more funding from me, from the right. loan servicer, Sally May. Right. Two, Channel 2, Fox 2 News, my local station, one of the correspondents, Bernita Carnude, she did the first interview when it hit the media. Right. It, that really didn't go anywhere. And then in May, now I'm, I'm speeding it up like 60 days now for March. May, I get a phone call. I'm at the hairstylist and it was a Channel 5, KSDK Channel 5. And this was a, a correspondent, Lisa Zygman. And she said she heard about my story. She wanted to know what was going on. Was there any follow-up? I said, ma'am, I haven't heard anything. I don't know anything. She said, we would like to cover your story. If, if you could meet us at the, meet me at the radio TV station. And of course I did within the hour. She and her cameraman, we drove back to Webster University to do the interview on the campus. And so as we did that, then that went viral, and their sister station is CNN in Chicago, Illinois. So they picked it up, and next thing I know, my neighbor telling me, she came to my house one night and said, some lady came to my house, they say they're from CNN, they were looking for you. I said, what, CNN? What does she want? She said, it's probably something about you being dead, but I said, no, that's my neighbor, Madeline's not dead. <laughs> and so she gave me the lady's card. And so next thing I know, as I was walking back in the house, it was like around supper time, close to 7.30, they were on my phone calling. And so we exchanged information. We set up an interview for the next day. They came to my home and set up all these cameras. And then when we did the interview in my home, we left to go back to the Webster University campus to do the interview on the campus to follow up what KSDK Channel 5 had done. And then after that, we this attorney that I tried to get to help me, she couldn't help me 
But then when CNN, I told them, they asked me, do you have any legal counsel, any attorneys? I said, I had one attorney. Her name was Deborah, but she tried to help, but she said she couldn't help me. Say, they said, do you have her name and number? Maybe we can call her to see what's going on, what she did know. So I gave them that. Within 20 minutes, Elaine, I get a call back from the same attorney that says she can't help me, but CNN, whatever their conversation was, I said, but yeah, I told them you couldn't help me. She said, I can now. Can you be down to my office? <laughs> They're going to meet us here in an hour, and I need you to be here so that I can represent you on this matter. And I was, but she's, okay, fine. And I'm like, maybe yeah. she's doing this clout chasing. This is in my thoughts. I don't know, because she turned me down the first time. Yeah. I get down there, and I get there, and next thing I know, the CNN was already there, but Steve, his name was Keith Oppenheimer. He was a correspondent for CNN. He was getting makeup put on him in one office. Deb, she was getting makeup put on. I'm like, okay, I guess this is how it goes. <laughs> so they mic'd me up, and then we started talking, and then we got the Social Security Administration on the line in the law office with CNN. And Keith Oppenheimer was the one doing the communication with the deputy commissioner in Washington, D.C. Now, this is where it gets weird. I live in Missouri. I was born in the state of Missouri. I'm a native of Missouri. But this deputy commissioner on the phone out of Washington, D.C. told Keith Oppenheimer from CNN that my file was in the deceased warehouse in Washington, D.C. I said, what's a deceased warehouse? I'm yeah. right here, sir. And he said, ma'am, I don't know what's going on. We're going to get to the bottom of it. I apologize for whatever has taken place with this era, but I assure you we're going to be working on it. He never still told me what the deceased warehouse was. Yeah. I had to find this out. Mind you, we're in the year of 2007 when all this happened. Right. So in that situation, I was just in limbo. My house got taken. My car got taken. I lost my job. I got stopped by the police in a traffic stop. I tried to explain to them I'm not dead. I got information. I got my license. And they, they thought I was drunk trying to explain this up front. They well, was doing yeah. like a traffic. How many people do you run into when you stop them, the policeman at stops you and you say, seriously, I'm not dead. Yeah, yeah. they thought I, I was doing a DUI or something. Oh, and I had to call my mom on, the, on my cell phone to say, can you please vouch for me? They, I don't know if they're going to lock me up or whatever. And it was now two police cars come. And then the two police cars... I didn't know what was happening because here in America, I don't know if you've been watching the news, but you know, a person of color could easily be killed, you know, just on a traffic stop. So I got both hands and I'm trying to talk to him, but the one officer was rude. Next thing I know, a third officer showed, but he has a white shirt on that lets me know that's the supervisor because I guess the story I gave them. He walks yeah. up to me. I don't know what's happening. My mom said, leave her on the speakerphone so she can hear what's going on. 
And when he walked up to me, he looked down and he said, are you the Madeline Colburn? And he said it like stern. And I'm like, yes, sir. I'm trying to tell them I'm not drunk, sir. You can do a breathalyzer on me. They got me dead. And he said, holy smoke, can I get your autograph? I seen this in the cafeteria. Now, oh this is the God. sergeant. <laughs> that was my angel. <laughs> oh he was wow. the sergeant over the other two officers. But he made light of the situation saying, can he get my autograph? Because he had saw it in the cafeteria and it was on CNN. And the officer that was mean, rude, a little aggressive, he called him to the car. And his name was Officer Jacob. And he said, look at her. Do you recall when we were in the cafeteria and I said, man, I wish I was her. I could lose all my bills and everything. And they was making light of it. And he said, holy smoke. He said, ma'am, I am sorry. You did say all of this. We stop people all the time and we hear all kinds of stories. It never dawned on me because your information didn't come back. And that's why I had to call the white shirt to the scene. And that's how everything get cleared up. And my mom, I wasn't too far from her. It was like maybe three houses before her. So she comes outside because the lights was flashing to mm -hmm. prove who I am that I'm her daughter. And they like, we got it all under control, Mrs. Gardner. We, we know everything that's going on. She's fine. We, we're just getting some information. And they let me go. That's how that situation happened with law enforcement. But it was so scary because I'm yeah. trying to tell them the truth of me. The one officer wasn't trying to hear nothing. And so I didn't know where it was going to go. But thank God I got past that process. Now, fast forwarding, since that situation, I'm still working with Social Security. I still don't have an attorney. Years go by. They keep giving me what's called a death erroneous letter. I get the death erroneous letter. I got probably about two by now. Now we're into 2000. Let's stop for one second because sure, you and I know what that is. But yes, a lot of the audience are not going to understand. And yes, okay. It, it basically is saying people are saying she's dead. That is totally erroneous. She is not dead. Don't believe anything. She's here in front of you, and we know that she's alive. Unfortunately, yes. go on. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly how you explained it. That's what the death erroneous letter is. Once Social Security fixed the remove the date of death, yeah. then they would issue you the death erroneous letter to give to all of your creditors. Okay, one more question it. though. What was your date of death? They won't tell me and I'm still in dispute right now. I'll get to that with that because I got the date of death from the Internal Revenue Service, but Social Security won't admit to the date of death to me. So I don't know if what the Internal Revenue Service told me, is it accurate with what Social Security has done? So with them giving me these letters, it's just a generic template letter. And it even says they would be willing to, if I consent to the bottom signing it, they'll give it out to all of my creditors. I just have to list who they are and they'll send the letter with their letterhead. I didn't need, I didn't trust them at that point. I can do my own legwork, you know. <laughs> so needless to say, in that process, 
I didn't know what to do. I'm steady getting calls, things being taken from me. I can't get back in school. Now I'm homeless. So now I have to move me and my son with my mom. And so living with her, I couldn't get anything. I can't apply for a place to stay. I couldn't get a car. Mm. My credit report, it, it's just all jacked up. I'm trying to prove I got a police report. I'm trying to work on the credit. I'm doing everything, basically, myself. And it it, it just caused me like a, a mental breakdown. Like, I did, yeah. I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. Like, my brain was on overload. I just would cry. And I'm just like, God, where are you? Like, I believe I have faith. I can help everybody else because outside of this, my career and schooling, my vocation is I've been a chaplain in Missouri Department of Corrections for the last 30 years. So here I am, a woman of faith, helping death row inmates to general population, but I can't help myself. And I'm saying, this is not right. No, I, no one in the state of Missouri could help me. No one. And it led to the chief of vital statistic records to tell me, Joyce Lovingring, she said, I have to get a judge to give me a certificate of life in order to bring me back a life in commerce. I'd never heard of anything like that in my life. I said, come on, Miss Lovingring, you're talking to me. You got my birth certificate in front of you. You got my loan form in front of you. My parents are dead, but I'm not. And she said, I understand that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you've been listed as dead in Missouri. It could be so. I said, ma'am, I am a native of Missouri. I haven't been anywhere. Yes, I've been married to a military man. We traveled the world. I'm now divorced, but my home state is Missouri. I, I've never lived anywhere else. I don't know why they say my records is in a deceased warehouse in D.C. I've never lived in D.C. She couldn't explain it. She said the only thing she could tell me is that I need a judge to give me the certificate of life, the COL. Now I'm back doing research. I'm going to Washington University Law Library doing research like I'm a student there just day and night. just. They're just doing research, state and federal law, trying to understand what I can do to file to get the attention of the federal government. And bam, there it was, the federal tort case. I had to read up on how to file a federal tort case, understand its legalese language in order to be able to present myself because I was asking for a trial by jury because I wanted to explain before 12 members of a jury, because I knew all of them have social security numbers and it would be easy for them to understand my plea. I didn't need a lawyer. I was gonna represent myself because every lawyer I went to, they said, you can't fight against the government and we don't have the funds of our law firm. I'm sorry, maybe start with your credit repair. You know, they were giving me tips like that. But as far as legal, their credit. Like that doesn't even make I, sense. I couldn't even deal with that because the credit reports were the ones reporting me dead. So it didn't matter what I said until Social Security Administration fixed the numbed system. No, it didn't matter because it'll keep coming back. As you see, I'm 16 yeah. years in. And now I know exactly 
like the back of my hand what's going on. And I can articulate it to Congress just as if I was working within Social Security as an Office of Inspector General, because I would give them back their words, their own federal audit. Absolutely. And how many, to this date, how many death erroneous letters do you have? A total to current to date, December the 5th, 2023, I have a total of six death erroneous letters that was issued to me by mail and some in person between two states, Missouri and Tennessee. I have a total of four social security cards with two separate social security numbers issued to me in era by social security administration. They tell me to use one, don't use the other. Then I'm told don't use the other, use this one. I don't know what to do. I just know that they got it all wrong. I've been trying to explain my case to them. They say they're gonna fix it. And here we are 16 years in. It's been hard for me to try to apply for things. I'll do it periodically. I'll use the number and try to apply for credit card or something just to see what comes back. The most latest that has happened is in the Department of Homeland Security because there's a new law that's here. Every ID, every American has to be under the Real ID Act. And so that means that your ID got to line up with the star behind it. You can't see it's faded out on your driver's license, whatever ID you have. And so I have identification because my Uh, Chief of Vital Records in Missouri tells me I have to go to court. I left Missouri and I come now live with my sister because our mom is dead now. So now I'm living with her, me and my son. And now I have the laws of Tennessee. So I can represent myself in court in Tennessee to change my name and explain to the judge I'm not dead and this is what happened. And then the the chancery judge in Rutherford County said, what's wrong with Missouri up there? You look very much alive to me. And he hit that gavel and he allowed me to get my certificate of life. And I got my certificate of life. I wrote up my narrative. I mailed it certified UPS to the vital chief records. And that allowed her because no one else touched it she changed my name based upon the court order from the judge in rutherford county and then after she changed my loan form which was really janky she took a marker and wrote through my birth certificate first middle and last name and then typed above it what the court order said with the hyphen and the colon, and I'll tell you about that. That's a programming language situation. I had to do that to trick the system. Okay, but getting back to what she did, now that becomes viable, legal. And I don't understand because on our birth certificates, it said it can be modified, it can be altered, or it won't be valid. But she got a black streak through my name and just typed above it what the court order said and mailed it to me in Tennessee from Missouri, like, there you go, you're back alive. And so that's what I've been using to give to people the information so I have to get a driver's license in Tennessee under the Real ID Act. 
So I now use the document from Missouri, my birth certificate, the long form, to show the doctor, the hospital, what time I was born, all of that. Oh, wow. And then, yeah. And then I give that. They have no problem. They accept me for who I am. They didn't question nothing. They just accepted the document with the court order, of course. Yeah. But it had the, the, the judge signature. Who's going to question that? That's what I tried to get done in Missouri. And he denied me. The federal you judge. Born in I was born in Missouri. I had to come to a wow. whole other state I never lived in before to study their laws, to know how to write my own petition, to change my name and go before the judge to explain why. Because he said, now you're not running from any law. You're not running from any debt. I said, no, sir, they got me dead. Whatever didn't happen, that was on their probable cause. There's a lot of stuff going on out there, but I here's my credit report. I had this is what I had with me. Yeah, my book bag. With everything in it to prove who I am in America. Because otherwise, I don't know if I could leave out of America. And I've been a traveler before all of this. Germany, you name it, Nigeria, Africa. If I leave now, I probably can't get back in the country. And so I'm not going to go through that with embassies and all of that and make it a bigger mess. So I've just been still just working towards trying to be patient and, and moving on with my life best I can. Now, as of October 13th, because of the media viral frenzy that took place from September the 18th, my hometown, Channel 5, wanted to do a follow-up from Good. 2007. So we do a follow-up from 2007, and I just thought it was just going to be me and the investigative reporter. After she released that, Oh my God, it just, from September the 18th to November the 3rd, I've done nothing but interviews for the whole month straight from international, national, on the front page of all kind of high profile magazine, New York Times. Actually, that president I was telling you about, they had his picture here and my picture here, right above it. I knew what they were trying to do going back to what we talked about, but it, I, I said, I need a PR person because I, I didn't even know how to handle all of these calls. They were just bombarding me, you know, wanting to know yeah. my story. And so I thank God he gave me the grace to do it. And, and I was able to do it and give supporting documentations that was authenticated for them to check things out and everything checked out. And I don't have no results. Now, Social Security, they've called them, but they won't talk to media. They called me. And I had the manager of the Public Affairs, Social Security Administration in Kansas City, Missouri, call me. So he's supposed to be working on my case. He said he can't promise me when he's going to get back in touch with me. But if I have any supporting document since 2021, can I submit those documents to him? Because they issued me two new numbers in 2021. And now them numbers don't work. The social security yeah. number. So I don't know which number to use, to be quite honest. The bank shut my stuff down in 2021. So I gave them the letter from the legal department from Regions Bank. Because they thinking it's identity theft. And I've been at Regions Bank over 22, 22 years. But now all of this stuff, 
I can't explain it. And I'm like, isn't this under the Banking Act of 1933? I, I've given you all supporting documents, but mm. no, he talking about the Secret Service and what? I, listen, Elaine, this is how many agencies started with the Social Security Administration, the Eternal Revenue Service, someone filed income tax in my name under the Social Security number in 2018, reported income annually $500,000. I've never made that kind of money in my life before. So the Internal Revenue Service can't tell me anything. All I know to do is request Freedom of Information Act to see what's on their master records about me. So they have failed to do that. Yeah, that's my weaponized. That's the only thing I can know. I didn't went to the FBI, the CIA, Department of Homeland Security. I didn't reach all the alphabets of federal government, all the way to the Department of Commerce, Department of Homeland Security, the Immigration of Counselate. Now, here's a doozy. Why would the Immigration of Counselate check my credit report on Experian twice on a dead Social Security number? I'm an American. Why would the immigration be checking yeah. anything about Americans' credit report? They couldn't explain that. So I did a Freedom of Information Act. I want all records. I need to know who had access yeah. to my credit report and why. They send me a record letter back saying, no, we don't have you in our immigration court records. You have to talk with the Department of Homeland Security. So now I'm over at the Department of Homeland Security knocking on their door. And then I'm telling them, why is it that your system show my former name attached with the new social security number? No wonder mm. I can't get a job. They're thinking I'm committing fraud on myself. And that's my old name. So I had to take a picture and a snapshot of that and do a Freedom of Information Act and send all this information October 13th, 2023 to the Social Security Administration public hearing officer who's supposed to be working on my case. He stated that once I sent him documentation, he would send everything back to me. I don't trust them as an agency, so I made two copies. I sent him the copy from my master copy, and I had the other copy to know exactly how many pages for him to send back to me. And he did. He sent every page back to me after he made whatever copies, but he also said, I can't guarantee when I'm going to get back to you fixing the problem. But what I can tell you is I talked to our public officer commissioner and he confirmed to me that the date of death has been removed. I say, yeah, that's the problem. No one's telling me what is the date of death yeah. and why was there ever a date of death? Well, he said, ma'am, once I receive your documents and go through everything, I'll be able to give you everything in writing and make sure everything is taken care of. So all I knew to do is the documents I put together, I definitely highlighted their Office of Inspector General federal audits that I copied and gave back to them, giving them back their words. Here's the problem. You all federal auditors stated the problem and I highlighted it. And it was during the year when it happened to me and 1.2 million Americans. In and it happens every year. Yeah. Yes, 2007, the audit was done out of Houston, Texas. Yes, out of the Social Security Administration there. Yes. I have and to this day, 
They haven't told me anything. It's come from my own research. All I want to know is why and why is it continuously to happen? They've had so many congressional commissioning hearings on the death master file in this country, and they yeah. choose to not spend the money to build the infrastructure that is needed, opposed to sending it over to foreign countries that shouldn't be having the money and should be investing right back here in our infrastructure. Here's another thing. I'm listed as dead, but my parents are dead, literally, yeah. because I'm doing my research, trying to figure my problem out. Here I come across all these forms that the average American don't know about. We don't need no reparations in America. There's no legislation that needs to be written. What I found out, I don't know if it's the Holy Grail or not, I found out the SSA 5BK form, if your loved one, mother, father, great-grandfather, great, you can go all the way back. I went back to 1779 year, World War I, my great-grandfather. I didn't found all kind of documents with these social security forms. You can get their earnings from when they died. No one ever tells you that. The Social Security make you believe you get $255 burial benefit. That's a lie, Elaine. My father died in 1992. This is 2018 year. I'm trying to figure out my situation. What can I do to get it fixed? And I run across these forms, lump sum from deceased mother and father. And I'm looking like, what is this? So I fill it out. And when I filled it out, I put the death certificate with my birth certificate just to see what happened. Why did they send us back thousands of dollars from me, my sister, and my brother? I'm the youngest of three. We didn't even know that money was up there. My dad died in 1992. This was 2018. My mother died in 2014. Now, I'm trying to figure out. How can you send me money back if you say I'm dead? Yeah. That's another situation. Exactly what I was about to ask you. That, that I give them everything back. Here's y'all check for stubs. This the letter y'all sent me. I just want some answers. Yeah. yeah. And the craziest thing last, I would say, that don't make sense. I am disabled. I have a heart condition. And I'm in stage three renal failure. I've been receiving SSDI, Supplemental Social Security Disability Insurance, since 2002. That's 21 years. How am I dead and I'm receiving SSDI? How? See how the system is messed up, Elaine? And I'm the prime example to show proof. Something's not right. There's a national security breach. Yeah. But I can't get to Congress. That's that's where I'm headed. The next conversation I have with any politician will be the Ways and Means Committee of Congress. There's no one else I need to talk to because there's no one can do anything about it. But Congress, they wrote the law, they wrote the legislation, and I just need some answers, not just for myself, I'm not the only one since my story went viral. I have people in my inbox all the time asking, how could I help them? What did I do to get my, my situation fixed? Only to realize it's not fixed. 
attention. And, and through my hometown media, they wanted to do a follow-up from 2007, rightfully, because they reported the story, wanted to see where things are at. We've been having so many breaches in Missouri. That's why I guess they thought to look me up. But the, the, the most damnable thing, Elaine, is I did all this work, get my name changed, get my birth certificate changed, get a new social security number. Now I'm in Tennessee in the medical hospitals that I'm now going to, they've had a breach. Now I'm all breached up again with the new name and the new social security number. They send me a letter letting me know that the medical records have been breached. So I don't know, every time I look around, there's a breach somewhere in the corporation here in America and me being in IT programming, that's my background, information technology. It is not no coincidence. This is planned cyber breaches, attacks for whatever reason to steal data. The new thing now in information technology is data brokers. Yeah, yeah. They buy up data in order to collect on debts, and then that's a breach of the Privacy Act of 1976. You're giving third parties information of a consumer, they don't even know who they are and never gave written express consent. So we don't have any privacy. No, and we have the same types of security breaches up here. We have, we've had hospitals attacked, those brute force attacks, yes. hospitals, all of that. There's so much here for our audience to unpack. I am going to, I think we need to do a follow-up to give it a little time because we got to get sure. to Congress. But I yes. have to say a couple of things, three things that I think are really important. It is very obvious to me that your faith in God has brought you through 16 really awful years. And my heart goes out to you because the mental fortitude it takes to deal with one government office, never mind all of them, is so debilitating and so demoralizing. And the fact that you've gone through all of them is an absolute testament to what faith can do for you. And that's a lesson that's a lesson for each of us to, I, I don't, I'm not directing you to, or any of our audience, who, whomever, whatever your God, whatever you call your God, whether you, you refer to God or the universe or Allah or Vishnu or, mm -hmm. or I doesn't matter to me. If you believe in a higher power that is, helping you, directing you, that you can have faith in difficult times, believe me, it gives you something to hang on to. And that bit of hope, my God, it's brought Madeline through 16 years. And I have to say, you're lovely looking for a dead woman. I always try to inject a little bit of humor in, in whatever. Thank I you. <laughs> but the fact that you've had to have six death erroneous letters. Lazarus is way behind you. He only got that back once. And yeah. The fact that you can find the humor in it 
I, I do. Gone through all that. Oh, that is another testament. I think um, it's wonderful. I know that the audience, like me, has understood how articulate you are, how much work you have done, and how absolutely ludicrous it is that, and it's not just the government in America, okay? These types of breaches, these types of ridiculous activities happen everywhere. That's right. But I, I realize that ID is important and I realize that we can't just take people's word for it. But mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. to the extent of being alive or dead, I really think that if someone is standing in front of you speaking to you, I would err on the side of caution and assume that they're alive. Unless you believe in the zombie apocalypse, which one of us <laughs> I, I do I do say for for our audience, for anybody who can throw us a little bit of help, a little bit of direction as to where to go next, so that the Ways and Means Committee is where Madeline gets to go next. I think that would be just incredible. And my father taught me very young, ask and thou shalt receive. So exactly. on behalf, I am asking. And somebody, so am I. Somebody help. 16 years is a long time to put in. And the fact that she's so committed and has done this and still sits here with a smile when I make silly jokes. Yeah. I, think, I think you're someone absolutely to be reckoned with. And I think it's important for all of our governments to realize mm -hmm. the, the, the sheer comedic ridiculousness that is tied up in all of the red tape that we're, we're all so bound by. I don't think we need as much as people think. I think we need to get back to simpler things. And I'm the first one. I love technology. Technology is, it's great when you use it wisely. And that's I right. think that's, that's right. the other piece of this. You understand how this works. You are in information technology. So you're not someone who's sitting at home going, I don't even know where to go. I don't know what to do. You not only knew some of that, you went and researched to find out where else you could go. And right. I think it is, I think it's important for the U.S. government to get off their duffs and let you get on with your life and your masters. And as far as I'm concerned, I think they should hire you because, oh my God, you do good research. I, I, I would even, I would even look to do that. Government research as far as yep. liaison working. I went as far as if, if I was a federal contractor to put a proposal in to be able to fix the numbed system, I would first break it down. I have all of the assessments that I'm going to bring before Congress to let them see. Yes, this has allowed me. I don't, I don't care about a degree. 
my knowledge has expanded to a point to where it could help not just get my problem fixed, but let's overhaul this numbed infrastructure system that holds all the American people that's been issued social security numbers and make sure that it's compelling, it's cyber tight, it's encrypted to where even if we got to put it on a blockchain, whatever it calls to not allow intruders in back doors that steals our estates. They're robbing us, Elaine. Absolutely. Absolutely. On that note, I'm going to cut us off here so that we mm -hmm. leave a little bit for our next time together. Okay. I, All right. I am wishing you well in this next journey to get Thank to you. the committee. Ways and means, right. Madeline Michelle Carthen is coming. And you people are ready. I'm coming. It's absolutely important. On behalf of all Americans. I would like your thoughts on what Madeline can do to go forward, on what you think about what's been happening over these 16 years. And anybody who has a story like that, we want to talk to you too. I'm Elaine Lindsay. I thank my guest, Madeline Michelle Carton, ever so much for being with me today. Thank and you. as per usual, I do say, make the very best of your today every day. And I'm going to see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for being here for another inspiring episode of Suicide Zen Forgiveness. We appreciate you tuning in. Please subscribe and download on your favorite service and check out SZF's YouTube channel or Facebook community. If you have the chance to leave a five-star rating or review, it'd be greatly appreciated. Please refer this to a friend you know who may benefit from the hope and inspiration from our guests. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by the following sponsors. Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you rocking page one in the search results. Canada's keynote humorist, Judy Croon, motivational speaker, comedian, author, and stand-up coach at Second City, Judy has been involved for over a decade in the City Street Outreach Program in Toronto. Lisa Sugarman, Boston-based author, columnist, and crisis counselor with The Trevor Project, America's largest suicide and crisis support network for at-risk LGBTQ youth, storyteller with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, survivor of suicide loss, and mental health advocate. Lisa's purpose aligns with Elaine's as Lisa shares content and sparks conversations to help end the stigma of suicide and connect people with the support and hope they deserve. Do you have a story to share? Do you know someone you think would be a great guest? Please go to szf42.com. And for our American listeners, that's szf42.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again.